0: Let's uh, stand together, and I'd like to read our text this morning. We are going to look this morning together at a glorious exhortation to elders. The title of this particular message is An Exhortation to Elders. And I think that's fitting for us today as we take an elder and a deacon. What does the chief shepherd call elders to do and be? Let's read this together in unison. First Peter 5, 1 through 4, 1 through 4. Join me. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, these words are Your words breathed by the Spirit through the pen of the Apostle Peter how good you are to give them to us. We are your flock. We want to be taught by you. The under-shepherds of your flock want to be taught by you. So teach us, Lord Jesus, as we come to this Word, may the Spirit convict us, comfort us, empower us. We pray for the glory of Christ and the good of the flock. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Please be seated. 1 Peter 5, 1-4 was written by the Apostle Peter. Now think about that for a moment. The Apostle Peter who throughout the Gospels was so arrogant. So self assertive, so very wanting to push his way into a place of position next to Christ. You remember that? Who minded the things of earth more than the things of God. Remember when Christ was telling his disciples, I am going to suffer, we're going to Jerusalem, I'm going to suffer. I'm going to be crucified at the hands of the chief priests and elders. Then I'm going to rise from the dead. And then Peter says what? No, don't say that. I will die before you will die. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You're not minding the things of God. And beyond that, Jesus looks at Peter and he says, you're going to deny me three times before the cock crows gonna deny that you know me and how deflated he was in absolute pity and shame when he saw the words of Christ come come to truth in his life and then that day when Jesus made breakfast for his disciples he drew Peter aside where did he ask him love you love me if you love me feed my sheep, tend my lambs. And he restored Peter to himself, didn't he? He said that over and over. The three times that Peter denied him, Jesus asked, do you love me? And Peter was still struggling because then Jesus told him the path that he'd have to walk. You're going to head toward martyrdom. Your shepherding the flock of God will lead you to martyrdom. And he said, well, what about John? Don't worry about him. You, Peter, you follow me. Right? Remember that conversation? What a powerful ending to the book of John. So, Peter was uniquely shepherded by the chief shepherd to take on the role of leading the flock of God. And it's he who's written this very text. Think of the weight of that. This is the one whom the Holy Spirit inspired to write this text. And he had the best shepherd to follow. Didn't he? The Lord Jesus Christ. So as we, as we come to this text, come with that weight on your mind. This is given to us by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Through the one whom Christ uniquely shepherded to be a shepherd in the body of Christ. What's the main point of this text? The main idea? Shepherd the flock of God. Shepherd the flock of God. You see it right in verse 2. Shepherd the flock of God. That's the main command of these four verses and around. That command, everything else in these four verses revolves. This exhortation, what does this mean to shepherd the flock of God? Well, that's a wonderful analogy. Shepherd. A shepherd. One who cares for sheep. It's constantly compared to the role of elder in the body of Christ all throughout the Scriptures. In fact, the role of elder began when? All the way back in the Old Testament when God ordained that Moses take other men to him in order to care for the flock of God in the Old Testament, the people of Israel. And that continued all the way through and right into the church. This is God's doing. And he has constantly cared for his people through men whom he calls shepherds And therefore, the analogy for how they should care for the flock of God is is very fitting and to be taken to heart. How does a shepherd care for his sheep? I have some different terms to, to consider for just a moment by way of introduction before we get to the meat of this text. But to shepherd the flock certainly means to know the flock. You remember how Jesus talked about himself as being a shepherd in John 10 and he said I know my own right he knows them he knows them by name to be a shepherd means that you must know well your flock to watch the flock you have to watch over those entrusted to your care we'll get to that a little bit more carefully as we look at part of Shepherding the flock in a moment, exercising oversight. It's important to watch over the flock. To attend to the flock by feeding. So, knowing the flock, watching the flock, feeding the flock. Sheep need food. And so, in the church, the people of God, the flock of God, needs spiritual food. need to be fed the Word of God, the words of Christ. Comfort, encouragement, exhortation. Consolation, the promises, lead the flock. It's the unique thing about shepherding is it's different from cattle driving, isn't it? Cattle driving requires goads and prods. But how, how is shepherding to happen? The shepherd always gets out in front and leads and calls the sheep to follow him. In fact. This is much more common in the Middle Eastern world where they still have sheep who know the voice of the shepherd, their shepherd, and they follow. And the shepherd takes the path before he calls his sheep to take the path. The shepherd leads his flock, the shepherd protects his flock. There's so much to protect the flock from shepherd and sheep, certainly, elder and local church. You discipline the flock. Discipline. There's church discipline given to us in the body of Christ. And you restore the flock. You restore the flock from discipline. You restore the flock from dangers, from heartaches, from, from pain, from suffering. So those are some words that you can take to mind and think about throughout the New Testament as you Consider this command, shepherd the flock of God. Know the flock, watch the flock, feed, lead, protect, discipline, restore the flock. All the while remembering that this is a flock that is not ours. The shepherd must recognize that constantly. This flock does not belong to the elder. To whom does this flock belong? It's the flock of God. Acts chapter 20. Verse 28. Paul says this so well to the Ephesian elders. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God. This flock is not the elders. It's God's. It's Christ's church. How did He gain this church? Says which he obtained with his own blood. He purchased this flock by the blood of Christ. So, as we come to this text, we need to answer the question how do we go about this task of shepherding? Now, it's interesting because Peter doesn't exhort us to take up all the details of shepherding, he doesn't talk about all the details of knowing and watching and feeding and leading and protecting and disciplining and restoring. The flock of God. It's not his focus in this text. Peter exhorts us as elders to take up the heart of shepherding. That's his focus in this text. The heart of shepherding. So how are we to shepherd the flock of God? Number one, follow the example. Verse 1, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Very interesting how the Apostle Peter starts off this text. He doesn't even give the exhortation yet. He says, I'm going to exhort you, but let me introduce to you how I'm exhorting you. I'm exhorting you as a fellow elder. I'm exhorting you as a witness. And I'm exhorting you as a partaker. And really what Peter's doing to the other elders in this particular body of Christ is he's calling them to follow His example and through Him to follow the example of Christ in how shepherding is to be done at the heart of it. Follow the example. I also find it interesting here that this text, these four verses, is written to the church Not directly to the elders. Did you catch that? He says, so I exhort the elders among you. Who's you? The churches that he's talking to. He wants the local bodies that he is writing this letter to to know what their elders are called to so that they can pray for their elders, so that they can partner with their elders and and even hold their elders accountable. But it's also interesting as he exhorts the elders among these churches that it's clear in this text that the Christian life, and one, one teacher said it this way, the Christian life is not a solitary following of God, but realize we are a flock responding to shepherds. Ever thought about that? You know, there's a, a real movement in modern Christendom to be isolated like me and jesus and my bible that's the christian life i'll listen to some things on the internet we will be okay that is foreign to the new testament the new testament sees the christian life as one that is lived as part of a flock following shepherds living together for christ it's life in community in fact hebrews and we'll, we'll come to these verses a uh, um, few times throughout this particular study. But Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of faith and imitate their faith. That's a normal part of the Christian life in the body of Christ. Or verse 17, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they're keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy, not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. It's interesting. We're called to live in a community where someone is watching over our souls. That's important. That's an important part of life as a Christian in the New Testament, described so clearly in these texts. So what is Paul getting at, or what is Peter getting at when he says, "I want you to basically, I want you to follow my example"? Well, what is what is Peter, what is Peter's example here? Is he's exhorting these elders? First of all, I see that Peter is engaging the heart of the flock. So the call to shepherd is the call to engage the heart of the flock. Where do I see this? Well, first. Peter is saying, I exhort you elders. It's almost like he's treating the elders in these churches as his own flock. I want, I'm going to exhort you the way I want you to exhort your flocks. I exhort you. Why is that unique? Because Peter's not commanding them here. Did you, it's a different word. He's not saying, do this. And he's not exercising the apostolic authority that he could. Remember who Peter is. He's an apostle, and he could say, I command you to do this. But no, he's engaging the heart of these whom he is exhorting. That's what an exhortation is. This is a wonderful word. This word in the New Testament literally speaks of coming alongside of someone, side by side, drawing them to your side, and speaking into their ear what they need to hear to walk in the right way. It's very different than looking at them face to face and demanding something by a command. It's an exhortation. There's comfort in it. There's encouragement in it. There's consolation in it. It's it's an appeal to the heart to do what is best because of good motives. That's how Peter's coming to these elders. By exhortation. In fact, the apostle Paul Says the same thing. Philemon, Philemon chapter, well, there's only one chapter. Philemon chapter 1, verse 8. Paul says this, listen carefully. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, I am bold enough in Christ. Paul an apostle, right? I, I could command you to do what is required. Yet, for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. And he says there in verse 14, but I prefer to do nothing without your consent. I want you to grieve to this too. I want you to consent to what I'm asking you to do. I'm appealing to you. I want to inform your heart. So that Your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. That's the life of a shepherd. We're not called. Peter's not exercising shepherding this way, and we're not called to exercise the kind of shepherding that just mindlessly forces people into a certain command. But we're called to exhort, to appeal, to bring them along, to see their heart engaged for them to long for it from the inside through the words of Christ. Peter does that here. He also does this, he, letter B, he identifies with the flock. What does he call himself here? What does he call himself? A fellow elder. Interesting. Again, all these words aren't, they aren't accidental or random. Peter's coming to, to these other elders and he's saying, I, I want to I identify myself with you. I'm where you are. He doesn't come to them and say, well, I'm an apostle. I saw Christ. Christ said, I have the keys of the kingdom. Christ said, you know, and he's, he's, he's flaunting, flaunting his, his, his credentials, flaunting his credentials. But he says, I'm a fellow elder. I'm where you are. In fact, this is how Christ shepherds us, doesn't he? What did Christ do to shepherd us? to bring us to God, he who was in the form of God did not count equality with, thing, with, a thing to, with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself of no reputation, took upon himself the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men. He humbled himself, became obedient, to the point of death, even death on a cross. Christ humbled himself, identified himself with us in real manhood in order to bring us to God you see how that works? That's shepherding. That's shepherding. Peter says, engage the heart of the flock by exhortation. Identify with the flock by being on their level because every shepherd needs a sheep. We're all sheep, right? Every, we're all sheep. We'll never outgrow needing a sheep. And so here, Peter says, I'm a fellow elder just like you. I'm a fellow elder just like you. And then he says this, humbly go before the flock well, where do I get this? Humbly go before the flock. Look what he says here. I'm a witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker of the glory that is going to be revealed. Witness of the sufferings of Christ, partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. What, what is, why is Peter saying this as an introduction to his exhortation? As a fellow elder, and one appealing to these elders to follow his example, he wants them to know that he is not, he's not inviting them to this kind of shepherding from a place of inexperience. He has seen what kind of suffering shepherding requires. How did he know that? He saw Christ. First, what kind of suffering did Christ experience to be our shepherd? How do you think about that? Peter saw it. Peter saw it all. And then he says this word for witness is not just that he saw, but that maybe he also participated in it. And we know that Peter participated in great suffering. In the work of shepherding the flock of God from history and certainly from the scriptures, but also as he says here, I'm not just a a witness of suffering, but I'm also what? I'm a partaker in the glory. And we all know from Jesus' words that if there's no suffering, what? There's no glory. So if you've got glory coming, you certainly have participated in the sufferings of Christ. So Peter is saying, I was a witness. I was a partaker, I've seen, I've experienced, I'll partake in the glory. Follow me to where I'm going. In other words, shepherds lead into suffering for the good of their sheep. Jesus did that. Peter did that. And shepherds are called to do that. I love how Christ says it in John 10. Would you turn to John 10 with me for a moment? John 10, verse 1, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, look at this, he goes before them. He goes before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of the strangers. A good shepherd goes before his sheep, no matter how difficult the path is. Did Christ go before his sheep? Did he experience great suffering on that path? Will great glory be his at the end of that path? Yes. How about Peter? Did Peter experience great suffering on the way? To, the, to, to, the, to glory? Yes. Did he call the sheep to follow him? Yes. That's the role of a shepherd. You go before your sheep, even though the way is full of suffering, knowing that the end of that road is glory. Look at verse 11. I'm the good shepherd. How are you a good shepherd? Well, Jesus, Jesus said, I'm not like a hired hand who bails when the road gets full of suffering. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He who's a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and what does he do? He leaves. He leaves the sheep and flees and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I'm the good shepherd. I know my own. My own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay my life down for the sheep. Verse 27. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. And didn't Jesus say these kinds of things even in the upper room discourse? He said, the servant is not greater than his master. I suffer, you will suffer, but I'll be with you. You see, wasn't it the suffering of the shepherd that led us to God? Wasn't it? Look at um, back to First Peter. First Peter chapter two, the very end. First Peter two twenty one. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was the seed found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he didn't revile in return. When he suffered, he didn't threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed." For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Look at that. Christ suffered. And what's the effect of His suffering? You were straying, but now you've returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. It was the suffering shepherd that led us to God. Christ was the suffering shepherd. 1 Peter 1.11 1 Peter 3.18 1 Peter 4.1 and verse 13. And so the flock needs an under-shepherd willing to suffer as he walks before them in order to lead them through suffering to follow the chief shepherd. And this, these flocks to whom Peter is addressing, they're suffering flocks, aren't they? That's the whole context of Peter. They're living in a very hostile Roman world. They're suffering. So what good is a shepherd who does not suffer before his sheep so that he can show them the way to suffer and to become like Christ? I've wondered over the years, as I've interacted with other elders and thought of things in my own life, I was like, is it? Do elders really have to suffer? They do have to suffer. You know why? because they have to go through what their sheep will go through. So there's a sense in which elders should expect more suffering than the average Christian, because he has to be able to identify with the suffering of many different people. And he has to be able to go before them and lead them through that suffering to likeness to Jesus Christ. That's what Peter's saying here. I'm I'm a witness. I can testify to the sufferings of Christ. In fact, I've shared them even myself, Peter says. But I know that there's glory to follow, which we'll talk about in a little while. The cross always comes before the crown. The suffering always precedes the glory. The glory will follow the suffering. The shepherd must go before the flock on this path as well, just as Christ did and left us a pattern. So the shepherd is called to shepherd the flock by leading and following, having the sheep follow him on the Calvary road. So, point number one, follow the example. The example is to engage the heart of the flock, to identify with the flock, and to humbly go before the flock, even on the path of suffering. Number two, Peter exhorts the elders to adjust their attitudes. (laughs) elders need attitude adjustment, yes. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Peter's going right to the heart of the shepherd, right to his heart attitude that is behind the shepherding. I have a few words here. One, focused. His attitude must be focused. First of all, you see here, shepherd the flock of God, the one that is among you. Which, shepherd, which flock? The one among you. That's important there, brothers and sisters. You can see in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, Peter's writing to several churches. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles, of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. At least five different provinces. I don't know how many churches scattered throughout those provinces. How many different elders? I don't know. doesn't say. But each elder, and a plurality of elders, is to shepherd the flock of God that is among them. The one given to them by Christ. Not another plurality of elders' flock. Now, that's, that's important. Shepherd the flock Christ is entrusted to you. In other words, don't try to shepherd churches that aren't yours. An elder needs to be present with his flock. Don't try to shepherd churches that aren't yours. That's, that's an exhortation to us. Don't wish you had a different congregation. This is the one God gave to you. We, we talk about this sort of thing in marriage as well. What's the right spouse for you? The one God has given to you. The one you have. That God has sovereignly ordained for you. That's the right one. Receive them as from the hand of God. Don't wish you had a different one. They're just what God has given to you. And so it is with a, an elder and, and, and his church. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. The one God gave to you. Don't get distracted with trying to fix the world's problems while neglecting your own flock's needs. This is such a temptation for shepherds nowadays, especially because we have this internet access and it opens our minds to all of the worldwide issues of the worldwide church. And you have all these folks really active online, writing all these articles, getting all kinds of thumbs ups and all that. And what can happen to an elder? He can neglect his own flock. That's dangerous. Don't get distracted with trying to fix the world's problems while neglecting your own flock's needs. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. That's the responsibility God has called the elder to. Don't get distracted with trying to shepherd people who have no commitment to the flock that God has entrusted to you. Now, this is a challenge too. The community may demand for an elder, a group of elders to do all kinds of community things and to to meet all kinds of community needs, but those people have absolutely no commitment to being the flock that God has entrusted to him. And the people that God has entrusted to him then are being neglected. Don't get distracted with trying to build ministries and followings outside of the church and neglect your own flock. But there's so many distractions that, that can keep an elder from shepherding the flock of God that is among him. Give, we're to give ourselves to the people that God has granted to us. Let her be attentive, to have an attentive attitude. It says, exercising oversight. Exercising oversight. Shepherds are always watchful. right? Watchful for sickness. You Think of it in the analogy of a shepherd and sheep. Watchful for difficulties. Watchful for needs. Watchful for predators. Shepherd of God's flock must be careful to watch over his sheep. Again, Acts 20, 28-30. through 30, Take careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. To care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. I know, Paul says. That after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to watch, to draw away the disciples after them. Watchful. Always watchful. Shepherds must be watchful. Romans 16.17, watch out for those who cause divisions. Galatians 5.15, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Galatians 6.1, keep watch on yourselves lest you be tempted. 1 Timothy 4.16, keep a close watch on yourself and on your doctrine. Hebrews 13.17, keep watch over the souls of the flock. 2 John 1.8, watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. So many distractions. Hobbies. Work. Outside. Ministry business of other ministry duties so many distractions that can capture the attention of a shepherd but by the grace of the chief shepherd we must remain attentive let her see willing there's these couplets not but you see them not this way but this way not this way but this way not this way but this way let's look at each of these three couplets willing Let her see willing, not under compulsion, but willingly. Not under compulsion, but willingly. A shepherd might be afraid to say no, even though he doesn't want to be a shepherd. A church might force him into it. I don't think that's a good thing. Or maybe a shepherd is a shepherd. He says, I'm afraid to resign, even though I don't qualify anymore, and I don't even want to. Are you willing? Is the attitude willingness? I'm the only one who can do this. I don't want to, though. That's not going to be a good shepherd. He doesn't even want it. I mean, that's the first, that's the first qualification in 1 Timothy 3, isn't it? He's got to desire it. Everyone wants me to. I don't want to let people down. I, I want their affirmation, but I don't really want this. You see, before you become an elder, it is something you must desire. And if it's God's will for you, He'll make you desire it. That's something that elders need to think about. Once you become an elder, you must continue to submit your heart to the will of God, even when it's a great challenge. To continue shepherding with a willing heart is what God would have us. That's why it says there, willingly as God would have you. God would have shepherds to do so with joy, willingness, content. That's an attitude that reflects God's calling upon your life. When you know God says, this is what I have for you. Thank you, God. That's a privilege. I'm grateful. Shepherding must not be compulsory. A compulsory ministry, but a willing ministry by God's grace. Letter D, eager. Eager. Eagerly. Not for shameful gain. Now, this doesn't prohibit pay for ministry. We know that from texts like 1 Corinthians 9 or 1 Thessalonians 5, 12-13 or what we studied in 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy 5, 17-18. What does this prohibit? Shameful gain. This prohibits doing the ministry for the sole purpose of getting money, becoming wealthy, or gaining wealth in dishonest ways. One commentator said it this way, Peter warns against taking up the work because of a desire for material gain it being a shameful thing for shepherds to feed the sheep out of the love to fleece. That doesn't work. commentator says, that warning also includes the temptation to gain personal popularity or social influence. Where love of gain reigns, the shepherds are prone to become mere lifelines feeding themselves at the expense of the flock. That's not what God has called us to The reason why this is prohibited by Peter and is so dangerous for a flock is because when a shepherd prioritizes his own material desires above the needs of the flock, he will abandon the flock to preserve his own selfish priorities when the difficulty or danger becomes too great. What did Jesus call that? A hireling, right? When the hireling sees the danger coming, what does he do? He flees because what's his priority? Self-preservation, comfort, wealth, prosperity. Not the well-being of the sheep. John 10. Jesus wasn't a hireling. Right? He laid down his life for his sheep so that, he might, so that they might have life abundantly, John 10 says. So the shepherd must be motivated by the same desires and be willing to make the same sacrifices. The commentator writes, these desires form an eagerness that precedes any consideration of personal profit. And the last one there, his attitude must be exemplary. Notice, not domineering over those in the charge, but being examples to the flock. This comes back to what we said earlier. Shepherds are to shepherd humbly by going before the sheep. Forcefulness, harshness, heavy-handed control has no place in shepherding. Prideful, condescending demands for compliance, no place in shepherding. Manipulation through shame, false guilt, unhealthy fear, abuse of authority, no place in shepherding. Instead of trying to dominate by driving the flock, elders are called to lead by being an example for the flock to follow. It doesn't mean that they don't have authority. Indeed, Paul calls Titus to require these things by the authority of Christ. But it's not an abusive authority that dominates. It's an understanding that authority of Christ has been given through his word and it's an appeal to follow. It's an appeal to follow. I love how Athanasius, this church father, said this, the life should command and the tongue persuade. I like that. The life example should command and the tongue persuade and urge by the word of Christ. Be a model for people to follow as you urge them to obey Christ. That's the role of the shepherd. We see this over and over again in Paul's life. 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Philippians 3.17, 2 Thessalonians 3.7-9, 3, Hebrews 3.17. He, he always talks about, follow the example. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. That's a huge theme in Paul's writing. Call the sheep by name and invite them to join you in following Christ. John 10. And this must be a continual ambition of the shepherd to be an ever increasing example of Jesus Christ for the flock to follow and be compelled by. And these attitudes in shepherding ultimately reflect the glory of Christ and honors him. Indeed Jesus said in John 6:40, I am doing the will of him who sent me to give life to the sheep. And this attitude certainly in shepherding makes a healthy flock. Notice let me show you a verse here. Uh, Hebrews, go back to Hebrews 13, just a, a page or two probably back. Maybe a little more than two. But the previous book, Hebrews 13, verse 17. He talks about following. In verse 7, remember your leaders. Imitate their faith. Verse 17, obey leaders, submit to them. Why? They're keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. It is good for a church to have a joyful shepherd. One who delights, though takes seriously the care of their souls. The sheep can influence that, but also the heart of the shepherd. If he will take seriously these heart exhortations to be focused, to be attentive, willing, eager, exemplary, that will, by God's grace, lead him to joyful shepherding as well. Now, finally, what should be the motive that compels the shepherd to such attitudes of shepherding? If it's not shameful gain, and if he is Laying down his life and taking up the way of suffering for the sheep, what then motivates him? If there's so much loss with this, what's the gain? Number three, embrace this motive. Shepherds, embrace this motive. Verse four, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Peter is giving the ultimate motivation for elders here to shepherd well. It's not about the here and now. It's not about the gain that comes in the present, the earthly gain. He's lifting the eyes of these shepherds to say, look past all this world has to offer and look to the coming chief shepherd and what he's bringing with him. Keep your eyes there. Keep your eyes there. There are some realities that will become fully realized in the future that should affect everything the shepherd does in the present. This is the call to us. Letter A remember the chief shepherd. And when the chief shepherd appears, that's one word in the original language. It's the same word, shepherd that is used here in a verb form it's the classic word all throughout the new testament that means shepherd one who herds sheep but on the front of that word it has the word arch. so arch the highest shepherd of all who's that jesus we have a chief shepherd that's the greatest news for the under shepherd oh good I have a shepherd too. That's really good news when you're a shepherd. Because you need a shepherd. Remember the shepherd. The highest shepherd of all. See, I need that because I will have to give an account to someone. Hebrews 13.17 says, They watch for your souls as one who what? Will have to give an account. It's terrifying. That's the most terrifying reality that a shepherd carries. To be responsible for the souls of another? That's what it says. There's a chief shepherd coming. So there's, there's no time to live for shameful gain. There's no point in it. You won't get away with it, right? There's, there's, no, there's, there's no way to get away with being domineering and 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 harm the sheep. You won't we no one will get away with that. There's the sheep chief shepherd who's coming. But it's not just a sense of accountability, it's a great sense of assistance, of help, because yes, the accountability is there, but his grace is sufficient. And again, I I, I think of Hebrews chapter 13, where God is at is the God who is at peace. Hebrews 1320, now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. That's not just a word to sheep, that's a word to shepherds. So the chief shepherd isn't dead and in the grave anymore, he's risen. And He's interceding for me. And He is my shepherd as an under-shepherd. And He will equip me with everything good that I need to do His will. And He'll work in me what is pleasing in His sight. And He has brought me into peace with God the Father. And His blood and His cross is the guarantee that He will be all of those things for every under-shepherd. That's good news. That's the Gospel to us. Remember the chief shepherd. You have to give an account to him, but you also have his great and omnipotent assistance in the under-shepherding. And then remember his appearing. That's your motive. The chief shepherd will appear. He will appear in all of his glory. He will be unveiled. He will come and we will see him face to face. Colossians 3, 4. His glory is revealed. You will be with him in glory. 1 John 3 2. When he appears, you'll be like him. You will see him as he is. The elders' longing is to see Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep. Or 1 Peter chapter 4. This is the day of the appearing that we long for. Chapter 4, verse 12, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. There will never be, we we have never experienced up to this point a day like this rejoicing when when the, the chief shepherd is revealed he's coming and we will see him as he is and delight in him and then remember his reward remember his reward look at this the chief shepherd appears and you will receive what the unfading crown of glory the unfading crown of glory it's um historically speaking of a wreath that was worn on the head of a victor maybe at a marathon and the flowers that were used were flowers that were called basically immortal flowers. That's the, the word that's being used there. And you, you made a wreath out of them and they might wither a little bit, but then you put them back in water, water and, they, and they bloom again. They were a well-known flower. And, and this speaks of immortality, of a reward. Unfading crown of glory. Look at Look at what Peter says about this in, in this letter. 1 Peter chapter 1. Remember this. Verse 4, you, you have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. Verse 8, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see Him now, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Look at chapter 1, verse 13, therefore prepare your minds for action and be sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that we brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. When Christ returns, those who have faithfully shepherded the sheep of God will glow with the glory of God. They will delight in God's grace to them. They will share in the glory of Christ. Like it says, chapter 4, we read it. But rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Thessalonians, or 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 10 reminds us of this as well. That when He appears, when He comes on that day to be glorified in His saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you is believed, there's a day when Christ comes and His glory is going to be revealed and all those who are in Him, including shepherds who have faithfully shepherded God's people, they will share a likeness with Christ That will exceed anything we could ever imagine. They will be burning with his glory. But then, ultimately, it will bring Christ glory. The reward will be honor, yes, and victory over sin, and victory over suffering and hardship. And there will be joy, but there will be glory and beauty and likeness to Christ, and ultimately then fellowship with Christ. And we will attribute all of that to Christ for his praise. So shepherds must long for this for themselves from Christ by his grace? Yes. But you know what? This longing to to share in this reward, it's not a longing at the expense of the sheep, is it? No. It's a longing through service to the sheep and the exaltation of the flock so that the flock may join them in the joys of the glories of Christ in eternity. So we have an example to follow. We have an attitude adjustment to make. And then we have a reward to embrace. In in conclusion, this morning as we go through this text, I exhort my brother Jeremy and any other of you brothers who may one day become an elder in the church of God. If the Lord wills, let's take these exhortations to heart. Take them to heart prayerfully by the grace of the chief shepherd and shepherd the flock of God. This is what he calls us to. And as a flock of God who has been given to shepherds and who have been given shepherds by the chief shepherd, let's respond to Christ's gift by clothing ourselves in humility. Indeed, that's the the next verse. Likewise, you are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Clothe ourselves in humility and follow Christ and our shepherds as Christ would have us to. That's a high calling. Dear friend, maybe you are here today and you're not yet a sheep following Christ. Are you a sheep following Christ today? Or are you still a sheep that's wandering and going his own way and following the course of the world, following the call of the evil one? What kind of a sheep are you? We're all sheep of some kind. Are you following Christ? Are you committed, devoted to following Christ, or are you following your own way? Think on that. Answer that honestly. Listen to John 10:27 27-30. My sheep, Jesus says, my sheep, hear my voice. And I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. See, if you're, if you're not a sheep of Christ, you will live through eternity under the wrath of the chief shepherd. But if you are the sheep of Christ, he will welcome you into the fold of eternal life and you will never perish and no one will ever take you from Christ. So how do you become a sheep of Christ? Hear his voice. Do you hear his voice? He says he's the Savior. He's the righteous one. He's the atoner who died on the cross for your sins. He says, if you trust in me and my righteousness and my atonement, I will declare you righteous and forgive you and give you eternal life. Do you hear the call of Christ to believe the gospel and repent of sin all through the scriptures? Have you heard that call? And are you running to him, following him, resting in him, in his in his care and provision for you? Or are you still going your own way? It's not worth going your own way. It is good to be a sheep of Christ and to be in his fold. So if today you you are convicted about that and you are convinced that you aren't a sheep of Christ but like to become a sheep of Christ, please talk with one of us. It's the most important thing that could ever happen to you is for Christ to know you And change you and to make you one of his sheep. Let's stand together and we'll pray. Father, we want to take these exhortations to heart and we ask your blessing as we continue this service, as we take to our body, an elder and a deacon. May these exhortations rest on their hearts and on ours. For your glory we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.